And the Learn Lead boys are back, and we are back forever. We are so sorry for the hiatus and the delay. Lots of things going on. The holidays were crazy. Life is so great, though. Everything's so great. Landon, how are you? I'm good. I'm unapologetic, unlike you. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. Landon and I, we, we, we linked up. What was it? Uh, right before New Year's, we had yeah, a nice yeah, dinner. In between, yeah, in between Christmas and New Year's. Yep, in between Christmas and New Year's, went over to New Jersey, linked up together, had the biggest meal ever. I almost actually like died from consuming too much food. No joke, I was I, I got sick. Um, but we, you know, we went over structured goals, how we're gonna remarket the podcast, how we're gonna bring value to you guys. Super excited for this new year to come and to just stay consistent and keep on crushing it. Couldn't have said it better, man. I mean, I don't think we're gonna we're trying to reinvent the wheel or anything. I, you know, we're gonna keep doing what we're doing as far as the type of guests we have on. We can just adjust some 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 back end things and how more people can 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 hear us. And I don't know anyone following us saw that we were like we're like top ten. We're like one of the top ten entrepreneurial podcasts in the Middle East. Yeah, like, <laughs> we're like thank, thank you for everyone that listens in Pakistan. We are appreciate you guys extremely thankful for you guys you know my friend said hilarious uh, i was like oh we're top 10 in pakistan they're like what do they have 11 podcasts <laughs> i don't have no idea what they have out there but some good people out there listening to us we're like top 200 in the uk which is kind of cool i mean hey it's to think about where we started a year ago and, and not to go down that rabbit hole talking about because we always do but um it's been cool so yeah, cool. no, it was great. I just actually wrapped up lunch with Dr. Ryan. Dr. Ryan, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for your time. What a what a beast. Guy is an absolute stud. He supports our podcast big time, um, brings some amazing insight and perspective to life and mindset and mental health and physical health. Really good guy. Um, we had a great conversation. It brought me back to, you know, when we've interviewed him and we had an amazing interview with him. Definitely go check that out in the earlier interviews in season one. And now I'm just thinking about the the evolution of where we've came uh, and how far we've come, how we used to just be so interview based and really just kind of like this scripted out type of questions. And now we've just been more conversational, got a little bit more of our swagger. And I feel so confident behind the mic now. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I think I think at the end of the day, with anything, you got to get swings of the bat, you know, got to get comfortable. Yeah. And he's know? like, because he, he's thinking about starting his own podcast. He's like, you know. How do you guys grow this thing? You know, for people that, you know, don't have a big name, how do you grow this? How do you do this? We're like, yeah, we're still trying to figure that out ourselves, actually. Yeah. Well, for those of you guys that, that haven't listened to the episode with Dr. Ryan, it's episode number 11. And uh, he, he ran, he runs a very successful chiropractic business and he's an entrepreneur. You know, he, he's life coaching, life health across the board. He's he's a stud. So um, he's definitely a very prominent figure who who should have a podcast because his platform for that would be would be awesome. Absolutely. Guys, guy's a beast. Really, uh, really thankful we connected with him. And now I want to segue into something that I actually just got a text message about, and it really pisses me off because I was the first one to talk about this. I'm not going to say I was the first one ever to talk about this, but everyone now I'm posting to that I'm doing 75 hard again. I've been doing this shit. I've been talking about this shit for like a year. And now everyone's like, oh my God, I got the book. I know this. You should do this. You should be doing that. I'm like, listen, come on. Enough with this. Even my boy Landon over here was talking smack about it. We have it officially documented on this podcast. You talking smack to me about this shit. And you're what on day nine, day 10, day 10, baby, day 10. Let's hey, go. hey, Tony, Tony's bringing all that heat, guys, but he's never finished 75 hard. Oh, so that hurts. Oh, why, why, why didn't I finish 75 hard? Huh? Because you weren't you mentally tough enough. Force fed Taco Bell down my mouth. <laughs> you weren't mentally tough enough, bro. Simple as that. No, fair but, enough. Uh, no, you're right. I was not. Uh, fear was not a factor for me, as Joe Rogan say. 
Well, hey, dude, I, I will say I'll give you props because the first time, and this is, you know, for any of you guys that hear about this program that have already heard about it, the first time I heard it was from Tony and I was like, there's just no way I could go 75 days without alcohol, you know, whatever. And I just, you know, I don't know. And I, I sat on it for a while and I was like, there's probably certain times of the year where I could really just kind of detox myself and just lock in. And I felt like, you know, right after the holidays, I was down in Mexico with my girlfriend and, you know, traveling through the holidays, despite all the COVID crap, you know, going out to eat, just doing all this stuff um, down in Atlanta with my boy, Adam for New Year's. So I was like, you know, a lot of, a lot of holiday benders, so to speak, um, social drinking, you know what I mean? That I think I was cool with putting it on hold for 75 days and just seeing how the body reacts, man. Um, I'm excited. I, day 10, I feel great. Um, my girl, my girlfriend asked me, she's like, what, what, what are you going to do? Like, if do you think you're going to actually finish it? And I'm like, I don't have an option. There's no exit strategy. I have to, you know what I mean? I'm locked in for this thing. So dude, I don't know if I told you this and I actually, I was talking to your girlfriend about it yesterday because somebody didn't tell your girlfriend that I have a girlfriend. Um, <laughs> you ass. It's uh, not my job, bro. I, like, she's like, "Oh, why didn't you tell me?" I'm like, "I didn't know." Like, I owed you an explanation yeah. about my friends' relationships. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> so funny, but no, she was like, she uh, she, I posted my 75 hard thing because now I'm on day two, and she was like, "Oh, let's go. You got this." I was like, as she told me that, I literally got invited by my girlfriend to go to um Miami and Cabo in March and April, and that's like right in the thick of the end of 75 hard. And I'm still going to go and I'm going to try and make it work. I'm going to do my best. And what's the worst case scenario? I did 75 hard for 60 days and I got to restart. It's a lifestyle. So I'm going to definitely, you know, it can't hurt regardless of what you do. It's all about finding that beautiful balance and finding the the discipline within yourself to say no to things when you have to. Yeah. And in the, in the part of, you know, I, and I'm one of those guys, like you said, who bought the book and I'm like really deep into Andy Brasil's content right now, really deep into his podcast and just all his word. And what, what strikes me the most is like you see all these results, like all the pictures online. Like if anybody hashtags 75 hard on Instagram or Facebook or anywhere, you're going to see all these before and after pictures of people that have had a lot of physical progress. But he argues that the mental toughness side is more of what this program is for than it is a, than it is an actual physical transformation. The physical transformation is just a product of mental toughness. Couldn't have which, said it better myself. Dude, and, and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. Mental, mental toughness is just the daily mundane things that may be boring in the moments, but long-term big picture help get you to where you need to go. At least that's his word, not mine, which I, I, I agree with it for what it's worth. But Oh, and it's it's so much more important than anything else, especially, you know, for, for guys in our position, you know, and trying to be leaders, you know, at the end of the day, it's nice to have a nice body and, you know, uh, health in terms of eating and things like that. Diet is huge, but the mental health, uh, the the mental discipline aspect of it is so big. And that's why I'm, I'm starting to train for a half triathlon. Not because like, yeah, it's going to get me in sick shape, get me shredded and be, be excited and all that stuff, but more so because I'm going to form the mental discipline to get through it. So that like when I get into crazy situations with work, I no longer, you know, I, I have something to, re- to lean back on. Be like, I created, I finished a half marathon. Why do I worry about if someone says no to me? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the overarching thing to kind of lean into our, our guest today for, for our listeners, um, you know, self-honest honesty, the whole point of this journey is to, is to continuously grow that level of transparency, you know, self-awareness, self-honesty and all that stuff. Big facts. Before we, before we tee up our, uh, our interview here, and we're going to, we're going to wrap this up real soon. I just want to say, point out one really cool thing, you know, Jordan Montgomery, amazing, amazing guy. Like I said, sent from God himself, uh, 
he, he was on our podcast, whatever, Jesus Landon. Christ. I know you. I don't, that's that's a little dramatic. No, no. The guy was sent from God himself. I promise you. Epi- episode 19. Room, no matter where you go. Um, episode 19. Check it out. Corroborate exactly what I said. He posted a thing today. Yahoo came out with 20 of America's best entrepreneurs this year, up and coming. Three of them are Jordan Montgomery, David Meltzer, and Ben Newman. Those three people have been on our podcast. Gotta love it, That's man. That's pretty cool. That's gotta pretty cool. I, I gotta say, I you know, that makes me proud. Really happy for those three, especially Jordan. You know, Jordan's the younger guy of the bunch. He has so much, uh, so much headed his way. Sent from God, by the way, Landon, if I didn't say it. Well, yeah, right. Uh, to to illustrate too, though, like I, I was listening to an interview with Ben Newman and I'm not going to plug, I'm not going to keep plugging all our episodes here with everyone we've had on, but uh, you guys will see him in the in the lineup too. But he was talking about one of his mentors, you know, back in like 2017, one of his mentors was was standing on the sidelines of the national championship game against Clemson. I, I don't remember, you know, I think it was Alabama Clemson, wasn't it back in 2017 or 2016? It's possible. Maybe Alabama, uh, Georgia. Whatever. Yeah. I, I just know that his mentor was standing on the on the sidelines at the national championship game, the FBS, and he was standing on the FCS national championship field with uh Carson Wentz's team. Uh it was at North Dakota State. Yeah, yeah. And he was chasing that. He was chasing that. And I was listening to that. Ironically, I was listening to that episode. It was from three years ago, and he was talking about how he's chasing his mentor. And ironically, Ben Newman was on the field for the Alabama Crimson Tide for their national championship win three years later. Yeah. How cool and was that, that? That was a dismantlement of um, who, who they played. That was just uh, the Ohio State. What a, <laughs> what a game. I mean, is this, was it even football that, by the second half? Uh, you know, let's, let's segue into here. We got another guy that will probably be on Yahoo top 20 entrepreneurs at some point as well. Joe Simon. What a beast. You guys are, you guys are in for a good one. Uh, I'm not going to run you through the long list of accomplishments and you're going to see what he's about. Uh, you know, moved to California, lived out of his car for five months. Uh, that that's pretty crazy in itself. You know, he's a big time sales expert, keynote speaker, mindset coach, just really serious with the same, like, he's like really like ferocious and tenacious about, you know, mindset and things with the same like empathy and, you know, chilled laid backness of it. Uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah, man, we'll just tee it up. I mean, the, the, we give it, we give a pretty solid intro going into the interview. So it, it was a good conversation. We talk about, you know, everything from, from business and his, uh, his adversity to just kind of his overall outlook on, on how to self grow and, and, and grow your, your own, your own mental edge. Yeah, to to tee it up at the end, he started a coaching business with no money in the middle of the greatest recession ever. So that gives a little bit of insight into who this kind of guy is. So enjoy, my friends. We love you. We got Mr. Joe Simon here. Joe is a 14-year modern sales expert, new economy keynote speaker, and a domination mindset coach. Joe has mentored over 350 companies in over 20 industries in the past 14 years, including audiences at giants like Microsoft, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Equinox, and many other leaders in the financial, technology, professional service, and marketing world. Joe, thanks so much for coming on. 
Hey, man, my pleasure. Let's do this. Yeah, that was the uh, the short version. Now we want to hear the long version of who Joe Simon is. <laughs> you might need a few days for that one. <laughs> yeah. No, but um, uh, guys, I'm glad we're on. I, I took a little bit of took a quick look at what you guys are doing. It's pretty freaking cool. Um, I come from. Um, I was, yeah, yeah. I was born and raised in the Midwest. Midwestern boy, um, Lebanese parents, uh, which was kind of like a. a, a I, I had like two different types of craziness happening in my life. I had like the outside world, and the inside world, right? But um, you know how it is. I'm just, there's a lot of people out there who can relate. Whether you're first generation or second generation, uh, born in this great country. Um, you know, I, I saw my parents work very hard, realized at a very young age that, you know, one of my skills was connecting with people and pretty much, you know, started, um, the process of becoming a young sales professional, which now has developed into much, much more, you know, deep diving, sophisticated career. But, um, as a sales professional, as you guys know, we have our share of ups and downs, right? Right. And, um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was about 15 about 15 uh, years ago, about halfway through my sales career, I realized that the majority of people in sales do not do very well. Um, the overwhelming majority, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of BS rules that that came about that that kept us trapped in the matrix mediocrity of thinking like the 80-20 rule and it's a numbers game and you're seven no's away from yes. And all this BS that but you would never say that if you were an athlete. You would never hear Kobe Bryant say we're seven loses losses away from a win. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, That's absolutely. So true. I like the perspective there. Yeah, for sure. It's so backed up. And I felt a little disappointed in myself, although I had great intentions for my team as a director. Now, you know, speaking about my previous, the last industry that I was in, which was the eighth industry before I joined, uh, before I became a coach, was the mortgage industry during the last boom several years ago. And I was just, I was just super fascinated guys on how we had grown from 15 people to 600 people. And yet, you know, the vast majority of people did okay. Like they were living a decent life, lots to be grateful for, but they weren't crushing it. Like they had initially intended when they got into the business. And you guys know from your business, you can't get somebody to start crushing it within three to four months. They're either going to start to check out or they're going to get stuck in their own, you know, budgeting, budgeted life. Mm -hmm. Uh, you work to pay your bills instead of you work to tap into your capabilities that scarcity mindset right and it's you know we it's so easy to put a label on it but it's all freaking around us and 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 most of the time it looks like love you know what i mean Mm -hmm. sometimes it looks like love it looks like friendship it looks like community sometimes it looks like companionship um and it's just everywhere and i I discovered that matrix and i'm like all right here's what i'm going to do i'm going to stop studying sales I'm going to go into coaching and I'm going to try to unravel what's changing in our world right now. And why do we have, you know, such a small percentage of people dominating in sales? There's a lot of people that make decent money in sales. There's a lot of upper middle class sales professionals. But correct me if I'm mistaken, but when you get into sales, your initial dream is not to necessarily be limited. Right. It's because you don't want to be capped. You don't want to work hard and still make the same money. And you really love people. You enjoy people. You, you, you love being in communities. You love meeting people. You love serving people. You understand what I'm saying? At sure. some level, you may not realize it, but that's truly one of your passions, whether your environment rewards you for it or not. And so, you know, I'm like, I'm going to figure this shit out. And, you know, over the course of several years, I started studying things like neuropsychology, not necessarily just NLP. Everybody goes, NLP, NLP. I'm like, yeah, a little bit of NLP, bro, relax. But more so actual neuroscience. 
um, human behavior. I started studying relationships, love. I started studying children, children's psychology, trying to unravel how it is that I can get people to massive conversion ratios. And now my reputation is known for doubling and tripling conversion ratios in hundreds of companies. So, so eight plus industries, obviously to the, to where you are now, where did you start? What was the first, you know, the first endeavor, first gig you got into and, and, and how was that experience? <laughs> no, nobody ever asked that question, dude. My first gig was seven years old. It was a lemonade stand. No, no. <laughs> my, my first legal job, not that I've done anything illegal, um, but my first, you know, proper job was actually at a jewelry store. It was the weirdest thing. I was like, I was looking for a job at a sporting goods store. This is in Peoria, Illinois, my hometown. And um, I saw somebody that was a family friend. They they worked at a jewelry store and they said, hey, we got a guy here who's going away to college. And I was still in high school. He's like, you want to take over his job? I'm like, what does he do? He's like, you know, he does engraving and like changes batteries and helps the salespeople with the cash register. Fast forward two years, I start to learn the business. And now I'm out on the sales floor just killing it. You know, Studying people and... Well, I wasn't studying people at that point in time. I just absorbed everything I would hear from people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I would go out and help the sales agents from time to time. And the sales agents started to tell me, you are really, really good at this. Like people are coming back to you. They're buying from you. They're buying $30,000 items from a 17-year-old. They were just, they were like, and some level pissed off. And then also kind of like, you know, this kid is cool, <laughs> you know, and right. so forth. And, and I was still an engineering major at the time, by the way, guys. It wasn't until like, Four years later that I realized maybe I should shift into business because I really freaking suck at math, like major, majorly suck at math, you know? So, and that kind of began the the legit sales career from then. Hmm. Interesting. So now tell us a little bit more how as salespeople we can dominate instead of having this scarcity mindset, or even if like, you know, sometimes people's goals is to make $250,000 a year. But for me, that's not dominating in my opinion. How do we switch the mindset to completely dominating? Sure. I think, you know, one of the best ways to gauge it, if you really want to look at it from a performance, I look at everything from a performance standpoint of view, um, because you have a lot of hard workers out there that will just burn through leads. Um, Okay. And that can be exhausting. People like you're there a year in and they're like, man, I'm getting kind of burned out. It's probably because they have a, a, a messed up conversion ratio. So the first thing I do is go find out what the average conversion ratio is in your industry, triple that and make that your goal. If you make that your goal, what you're doing now is you're saying, okay, I'm going to perfect a skill so that I don't have to work as hard to make the same or more money. Um, and don't get used to these, this no life or this failure type life. You've got to fail to succeed. I get it. I know I, I like to just call it life's lessons. I'm tired of all these cliche memes saying you got to, even though I've said it in the past, I'm starting to realize that words are the code to our brain and our brain is very, 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 very advanced. Right. So I tend to not, you know, say failure is the way to succeed because then I'm inviting my, I'm making it okay for me to fail. I'm, I'm lengthening my learning curve. So the first thing I would start with is conversion ratio. How many people do I touch and how many people do I enroll? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. The next thing I would do is take a look at, okay, now do I have some personal goals? Like what's my, income level that I want to be at, you know, what reverse engineer those numbers. So how many closes does that add up to per month? How many prospects is that up to? How many phone calls does that mean? And then I would start to reverse engineer and create my navigation system. Mm-hmm. You know, so I know exactly because I can walk in every day and put a check on my desk that says a million dollars, but that doesn't mean that I know the path to get there. Right. So I need to know, you know, is that, you know, 48 prospects a week, which leads me to 12 pitches, which leads me to four closes, which leads me to my goal. 
So I kind of got to get that part going too. And then the predictable system. Sorry. Essentially a predictable system. Yeah. I call it, you know, GPS generate positive sequences in your sales. And it's basically like, you know, we all go in with, with a lot of work ethic, but if you're driving around in your car, for example, and you've got a destination, let's say you're headed to LA, you want to meet up with Joe because he's such a cool guy, good looking dude wants to have dinner with you. Right. And, and, all I do is call you and I say, come meet me for dinner, but I don't give you the address. You can't type it into your navigation. You wouldn't even leave your house. Right. You wouldn't even leave. You're like, screw that. I'm not going to go search for this person. And so we, we go into our work week. We work like 50 to 60, 70 hours a week, sometimes more, hoping to arrive at our destination. And here's, here's the kicker. Here's what I've noticed now that I've you know been blessed to like meet with thousands and thousands of people in person, not online, is that... They keep setting these goals three, four, five, six months, and they don't hit them. They're having a paradigm shift in their identity. You guys have heard the temperature gauge thing? Oh, yeah. You, you will start to believe, if you don't start hitting your goals within a reasonable amount of time, that you are not capable or you're not worth it, that you don't have the skills. So the biggest project you know, for myself is you know, I spent years through um, 07, 08, going through another financial collapse myself, losing my house, going through the eviction, the whole, you know, real estate collapse of, um, you know, the, the previous recession and so forth. And I learned a lot during that time. Number one, I learned that I'm not, I'm not good enough to survive a tough economy. I need to really step up my skills, become so valuable that companies can't deny me. And the other thing I studied was what is the absolute quickest way for me to make impact on people? Because 90 days is a threshold for me. If I'm going into a company and I can't prove that we can drastically improve performance within 90 days, then their belief systems and their identity starts to go back to whatever is easiest for them. You with me? Yeah, absolutely. So I went into linguistics. And so one of the exercises that I do now, I don't do it all at once because that would be just stupid as a teacher, but I'll take pieces, chunks of their, their prospecting or their phone calls or their voicemails or their scripts, whatever. And I'll start I'll looking at their industry language. Now, most sales techniques in an industry are handed down. The guy who recruited you, the guy who recruited him, back, 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 and somebody's grandfather. The kitchen table, whatever you guys want to call it. You get it? For sure. So over the years, because there's millions of us now, customers have memorized the words that we use in our industries. And so the resistance and the rejection comes even quicker than it did before. And so you call more people. It's a numbers game. Stop. Stop exhausting your effing people. How about you work on their skill? Well, what else do you want us to say? I'm like, bro, the English vocabulary is freaking huge. Pick some different words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know what exactly. I mean? I, I coach retail. Show up different. Yeah, I've even mentored, you know, I get the most random requests, guys. Like last year, I helped develop a couple of John. Are you guys familiar with John Barbados? No, I, can't, I can't say Men's clothing line, Barbados? I, it sounds familiar. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure if you... And now I got to speed it. ring a bell. You guys in your wardrobe too, man. What's going on? <laughs> Where you guys live, dude? Where you guys live? Out in the uh, Philly, New York area. Philly, New York area. Well, there's a lot of style out there. I got to hand it to you guys. You got to style out there. <laughs> You're, are you out west? You're out in LA? I live, yeah, I've been, I'm actually in Orange County. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. Right on the border between um, a city called Newport Beach and Irvine. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's nice out here. It's crazy in a way, but it's nice. So, so you talk about skills and things like that, just to kind of go off of this, which I think is kind of where you're going with it in this new economy. There's, you know, you talk about two skills that stand out the most. Um, you mind going into where you were going and then also talk about that as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I, you guys feel free to jump in when I'm on my flow because it's, it's crazy. 
<laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. I'm loving it. Interrupt. Yeah, it's great. So hey, you're killing it. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of rules that I'm breaking. I'm, I'm creating a new curriculum online, the Top Producer Academy, which has been in creation. I'm just improving it. And I have the new rules of selling. You guys remember, um, you know, they're always like educate your customer, which is important in some industries, but it's not the determining factor. Know your product, which is important. Most people can memorize a product. My number one rule of selling, number one skill you need to acquire through practice, not by accident, is to be the one who understands your customer more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean ask the same qualifying questions. That doesn't mean go through your needs assessment. And generally, well, what does it mean then, Joe? What does it mean? Stop leaving us these cliffhangers, right? What are you, a freaking infomercial? No, here's what I, I typically say. I typically go, look, Number one, take a look at your, remember how I was just talking about industry language a few minutes ago? Mm-hmm, right. Take a look at your industry language, go almost sentence by sentence, and try to rewrite a much more meaningful, humanly, non-transactional way to say the things that you would like to say. And from a helicopter view, do not write a sales pitch, do not convince your customer. What you need to create is a decision-making process whose focal point is the customer, not the product. You can recommend anything you want, and you can even make the decision for your customer if you write a decision-making process, what I call become the one. So you're basically becoming the customer, not the sales agent. When you do that, it becomes so intriguing to your customer that they don't realize that subconsciously they're not hearing many of the sales trigger words that they typically hear, which in general kind of makes the customer feel like, oh, he's so different. I don't know why I like him. He's so different. You know what I mean? Yeah. That type of feeling. I don't know if I did that. It's kind of difficult to do with my deep voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I, mean? I know I didn't turn you guys on, that's for sure. <clears throat> um, I feel like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, you go through it, you work on your language, how to create a more meaningful experience. So, A lot of my time is spent, you know, rebuilding the communication style or even a sales script for a company, not overnight, but little by little while describing the psychology to all the sales representatives and asking for their engagement, because it's very, very difficult to train people on new strategies. They're going to be resistant if you don't first show the respect to explain to them the psychology and demonstrate it, you know, uh, along the way. So we would work on that and so forth. And then the other big one, so remember, work on re- reformat your language, the actual words, questions, even your qualifying questions. Try to find a more humanly way to say them or to bring them up or to, right? But here's And the also, thing. also before you get onto that, I wanted to ask you too, like how much does, does an individual's personality have to do with how they formulate deviating from these scripts? Well, here's what I tell people. I go, you don't, First of all, you never see an athlete run down the field with a playbook in his hand. Right. Okay. I don't recommend people read scripts. Neither do athletes. The reason they get dependent on their script is because they only fucking look at it when they're on the phone with a customer. Mm -hmm. You got to know your playbook. It's more important for me that they understand the scripting and the language so that they can take the words from it and articulate it within their own per- personality or character. What I call you got to become a hybrid. You have to become a hybrid. You have to be yourself and you have to be strategic. You know, I felt like a, 
a massive shift in my business, and I've, I've been in this uh, in the sales business a very short while, maybe like thirteen months at this point. Mm-hmm. And once I started really committing to authenticity and really stop, you know, I, I I commend my company for giving you a solid foundation to work on. You know, creating an upfront contract, telling people this is how it's going to work. But then a little bit sounds too robotic. Mm-hmm. I started to just realize, let me just build some rapport. Actually figure out what this person wants and listen to them. Stop worrying about making the big commission because that'll come if you just do good business. And a lot of the things I say are informal. You know, a lot of things go against the grain of, you know, normal, formal sales language. And I think people appreciate that more in a world where people don't trust as easily. Exactly. And, And you know what? Being authentic in business comes easier to some than it is to others. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, you can't just teach based on the idea of authenticity. You have to actually, and again, to accelerate results. Um, for me, it's usually been by starting with the words and role playing the words and practicing the actual words and then being attentive that you're not just regurgitating industry language. Yep. Most industries have industry language. I mean, I've mentored over 20 industries now, whether it's life insurance, mortgage, real estate, tech, law firms, you name it, you name it, debt settlement, you name it. I go in and I, without even knowing anybody, I can, I can recite like 100 phrases they use on the phone. And I go, how many of you say this? They all how many of you do this? How many of you leave voicemails like this? How many answer like this? How many of you say that? And it's like, damn, this guy knows our industry. I'm like, you just, you just all sound the same. It's easy. Before, before you, uh, before you continue, do you mind giving us a slight example as to what traditional sales language is and how you would rephrase it on a phone call? Sure. Um, I'll give you an example. Let's say you're going to you're scripting and it's a first time introduction to somebody and you're on the phone and let's say traditional sales would say, introduce yourself, introduce your company, what you do and what you're offering. Right. Mm-hmm. So it might sound something like this. Um, you know, sounds something like, um, Hey, Antonio, how are you? My name is Joe. Um, just wanted to reach out to you, quote unquote, catch that reach out to you. Get it? Yep. Normal humans don't say that. Just want to reach out to you and uh, let you know that I'm going to be in your area. And uh, I'm, actually, uh, Antonio, the reason I'm calling you, stop. The reason I'm calling you. Do you hear that? Yeah. Okay. Another sales pattern. Tonality, overly excited. Do you hear that? Absolutely. The reason I'm calling you is because uh, my company, so-and-so um, insurance, is right now reaching out and helping people to do free evaluations and help them figure out if they're prepared, you know, because during the pandemic right now and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, stop. So we already have three or four sales patterns in there. Yeah. And then he goes, hold on a second. Um, what, what company are you from again? So he's reacting to a sales pattern yeah. because he's looking for a way to say, I'm not interested. interested. Right. There's also what I call the sounds of selling things that call centers say. Like, um, how's the weather out there? Or great, great. Or let me, you know, let me get your number in case we're disconnected. I'm like, brah, it's 2020. If you're getting disconnected, I don't want to work with your company. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And then you got qualifying questions and so forth. So there's something that we teach in the very beginning called conditioning behavior. There's like hundreds of psychologists that I use in these sales things, but you got, you teach them a little by little. And what it really means is, is a little bit goes a little bit beyond state your intention. Be realistic. So if I walk to somebody I've never met before and I call them up, I said, I said, hey, Antonio, how are you? My name is Joe. You know what? You probably weren't even expecting my call today, 
but it's kind of important. I was given your name by so-and-so and I wanted to reach out because we thought this would be a good opportunity for you and your family to check out ABC. By the way, have you done anything like this within the past 30 days? Because there's been some changes, um, you know, in the country and in the industry. And I thought it might be a good time to reach out. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So you can see that there is a shift in words. There's a shift in tonality. There's some realism being introduced and so forth. And um, we usually end with something called conditioning behavior, which is all I'm going to do right now is spend a couple minutes with you, let you know if this is something we should even meet about. You know, if it does look like this is something that could work for you and your family and would be a, possibly a smart decision for you and your family, then we'll, we'll, we'll hang out for a few more minutes and I'll let you know kind of what's available to you. And, and, you know, by the, by the time we're done talking, we'll know whether or not we should even meet. Sound good? Sounds good. And so forth. And so all I did was say, all we're going to do is go to first base. I'm not even mentioning home plate. I don't know if there's a home plate. I don't know if it's right for you. And I used keywords that aligned with the person's rules and values. All we, all we want to do right now is spend a couple minutes together, no sales pattern, get to know each other a bit, no sales pattern, and help you figure out whether or not you should even look into this, whether or not you and I should even go to first base. And then if it is, you know, we'll make sure that, you know, if we do do something, we'll make sure it's a very smart decision for you and your family. So I've anchored, remember, words of the code to the brain, I've anchored, we'll make sure it's a smart decision for you and your family, if we even do anything. But I'll let you know. Mm -hmm. And now I've opened up the door for me to begin asking questions and keep it cordial and maybe even now start building some rapport. We don't build very much rapport in the very beginning because it's called fake friendship. Fair enough. No, I, I think everybody reads through that. They don't say it out loud, but they think it, like you said, just trying to find a way to get off the call or say no to yeah. it or, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Customers are closers in that they're so good at being cordial mm -hmm. and like giving you a minute just to figure out what you want. What do you want, dude? You know, what are you selling? So you could be like, yeah, you know, it's kind of crazy right now, the pandemic, right? How's it, how's it out there in the New York era? Yeah, we're doing, yeah, I'm in California. We're doing, it's all small talk. Mm -hmm. You can talk about that stuff, but then talk about that stuff after you've crossed the, the seven minute threshold, which is, we know that a person needs to speak to you for at least seven minutes before they're comfortable getting into the personal parts of their, you know, their life or their career and so forth. And there's so much to it, guys. I get excited when I speak to oh, yeah. you, oh, yeah. sales professionals like you, because from my heart, I'm trying to, you know, drop as much knowledge as I can. I think I just created this, 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 you know, sort of like caring habit where I'm like, you know, how quickly can I impact somebody's life right now? Yeah. yeah. What it, Wait, so the so the two the two skills that you talk about the most, the first one did I get right was was basically is, is showing up different, right? Or or did I miss that? Well, yeah, the first the first, well, I don't know if you want to call it a skill, but I was like the number one rule of selling is the one who understands the customer the most. Got it. If, while talking to them and before you talk to them, understanding, you know, the behavior mechanisms of people in your in your market. Um, and the other one would be to take a look at all your sales language and try to reinvent or at least reshape all your industry language so that mm -hmm. you don't hit sales patterns that create resistance from your customer. Perfect. Right. Perfect. Then it's to add five to seven questions that have, that are not typically used in your industry, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so forth. And, uh, 
and then start testing stuff out. You know, Makes sense. Testing. Yeah. Makes complete sense. So what I wanted to, what I wanted to make sure I asked also was to kind of zoom out, talk about you moved to California, you lived out of your car for five months. Mm-hmm. Talk about what that was like. And then to where you are today, um, you know, personally and professionally for our listeners to, to get a feel for that. And, and we'll go into that direction. <laughs> it was, um, it was actually, it, it had like a really, really neat adventurous side to it. Like, you know, I was 23, 24 years old. It was an overnight decision for me to come out here. Um, you know, the whole thing, like no credit, no this, no that. I think I was on check systems too. And um, I was sleeping in my car, but the I, I felt somewhat intelligent because I was like, I was like, dude, it's nine degrees in Chicago and it's 80 degrees here. So I'm feeling kind of smart right now, <laughs> you know? And, um, it was, uh, I got a job at a health club right away. Boom. First day I set up an interview by phone because I knew in a health club that I could sell and I could meet people coming to me instead of me going to them. Um, and I could shower, I could keep clean. I could kind of wing it. Right. And one thing led to another, um, that went on, um, you know, I became a top producer there in two months and then I left roamed the streets for a little bit, you know, stumbled across a few more people. And that's when about at the four and a half month mark, um, I met some good people and they invited me into the uh, mortgage industry, which was booming at the time. And, you know, I learned that and continued on with our sales careers, you know. Um, But I actually left that industry before it collapsed. I left a year and a half to begin coaching. I actually left, I actually began coaching the month after my biggest month ever in the mortgage industry, which was December, 2005. And why wow. was that? What was that? And why was that? Uh, because I was kind of having the epiphanies that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I was a big Tony Robbins fan and loved the seminars and our company even hired people. I had always, you know, from the age of uh, 14, 15, um, I had family members. My aunt and uncle would give me books to read and would encourage me to, you know, be in business and so forth. So I had some great loving influences. But um, what I was, was starting to realize is that for us sales agents, you know, it wasn't just mindset. You know, I, I couldn't leave a motivational seminar and then like boost my sales that week. You know, really, it would just make me work harder or, you know. So how'd you go about, you know, starting the coaching business and building it from the ground up? <clears throat> yeah, initially... Um, I, I had built a, a reputation for myself because of my story here in Orange County. And so when they found out that I left that organization, I was getting calls left and right to come help out at, at multiple companies. Um, then in 2008, when things went down again, that industry sort of collapsed for the time being. And that's when I had to reinvent myself. But the main, the main motivation behind it was wire myself and so many uh, and and so many of my friends super successful in sales but the majority of the people that we recruit and we care for and we make promises to are not what is it about me i am their teacher i am their leader why the fuck are they not doing well mm-hmm. and um you know that moment of honesty along with me realizing that when i was successful it was always when my industry was booming or when the economy was booming and I'm like, maybe I'm not typically as good as I think I am either egotistically because I make most of my money in perfect economies. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, absolutely. 
Are you recession-proof is the question you're asking yourself. Yeah. Was I really recession-proof? Why, when the recession came, did my phone calls drop by 90%? (laughs) You know, people reaching out to me. And that's when I, that's kind of when I hit the tipping point of, you know, I'm going to very, very deeply and very intimately spend thousands of hours studying human behavior. And, you know, something that I now call the domination economy rather than sales, which, you know, helped me to become one of the number one sales experts in the country. And, and and so the journey in that sales world, in your journey, I'm sure, and I know in ours as well, there's obviously self-doubt that we can have in ourselves. We can feel alone or abandoned by others mm-hmm. around us, mentors or you know managers, mm-hmm. people above us. There's obviously mm-hmm. the, the trash talk that goes on inside the office or around uh, the company at times. Um, and then at times, I'm sure you know we can all feel embarrassed at times. So how do you talk about managing that? Um, and, and just, and just growing over time. You you, you guys hit a soft spot, man. You might make me cry right now. Imagine, um, being passionate about wanting to be a a coach and being confident, be like, you know what? I love this. I can do this. And then coming from, you know, a fairly ethnic family and then a recession happening, going completely broke and then telling everybody that you're going to become a coach or you're going to pursue sales training. You can only imagine the responses, right? Right, right. And it obviously, it's not the first time in our lives. We come across this every time we make a big jump. There's somebody going, make a little jump, make a little jump. Um, and we're just not little jump people. We tend to make big jumps. And, and here's what I noticed is that it, what was temporarily painful became my rocket fuel. You guys feel me on that, right? I like that. What was temporarily painful Because if you can process it right, whether you do it through your faith in God, whether you do it through your rules and values, whether you do it because you're fucking pissed, whatever it is, if you can channel it right, you really start to appreciate those moments. Because what I say is like, that's the universe's way of getting you to make important decisions. And uh, and it just, you know, for there was a, a time just recently within the past three to four years in my career where I felt really, really stagnant. And I'm like, man, I just... I didn't want to really admit that my motivation was going away. And when I would see people, I would act all pumped up all the time, you know, be in character. And then I wasn't really like that. And you know what I noticed, guys? I noticed that nobody was talking shit anymore. And because nobody was talking shit anymore, I lost that part of my motivation. So how'd you, uh, how'd you, how'd you find a new way to, to manifest that? I just started talking shit on a bunch. No, I didn't. <laughs> started picking fights, man. I started doing uh-huh. shots. You know, I, I, um, you know, I, I, I think the first thing I did was I took my personal expenses up by like forty percent. I started like upgrading my got the Ferrari in the backyard. And- <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I didn't have the backyard. I lived in a high rise at the time, but. I took my personal expenses and I'm like, okay, that's one thing that I can do that's not going to demolish me that will also put a little pressure on me. The other thing that I noticed was most of the, and this, this is pretty cliche, but it's very important. Most of the people that were around me, I was their mentor. Right. You know where I'm going with that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they were taking a lot of my time and, and it made me happy to contribute and to teach them and to be around them. But I needed to transition into spending an equal amount of time into people who could demolish me, both financially and mindset-wise. What do you mean by demolish? Demolish in a good way. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, like 
you know, if you're the smartest guy in the room type of thing. Yep. Got it. Yeah. So I needed to be around people who were, you know, light years ahead of me in, in the game of, of business and life and family. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I noticed is, is I had gone so long focusing on my business that I had not developed my own relationship or family. And so that was weighing on my mind too, as I went into my lower forties. So I was like, okay, so now, and it's kind of like, and, and I, I hear, I love the young professionals because they are moving so fast right now. I have so many guys and girls in their twenties that just blown me away how freaking intelligent they are. Um, and they're always like, oh man, I'm just like, oh, I'm going through this thing right now where I feel like I got to reinvent myself. I'm like, bro, it never <laughs> stops, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't stop. And, and so uh, the reinvention process is a real thing. And, you know, if you do it right around the right people with the right influences, it'll help you to take to the next level. You can't motivate yourself alone forever, believe me. Yep. And I mean, if, it seems that, you know, a lot of people we talk to that have hit a level of success like, you, like yourself have obviously gone through a bunch of experiences, but you also see the ability to be self-aware. There's not one person that we've interviewed on this podcast that isn't extremely self-aware about where they've been and what they are now. When did you hit that point? Was there a certain moment? And at what age did you kind of get to that point where you're like, okay, now I am really fully honest with myself. I can look in the mirror and be secure about where I am because I'm very honest with myself. Right. It's usually the most painful points if you can capture it. You know, everybody talks, shows their cars and their homes online and they're like, blessed, blessed. And then you see rappers and DJs and and athletes are like, bless, bless. And they got a Ferrari. And I'm like, bro, that's, that, that wasn't the blessing. The bl- blessing is when you got smacked, knocked the fuck out. Yeah. And, and the message was coming to you. Like that was the blessing. You just captured it, you know, took action on it and became disciplined. So I think for, for me, self-awareness, which I believe can be taught and it's going to be included in my academy as well, because there's so many tools, right? It's not just sales tools, mm-hmm. um, came through, the, the wake up calls, the wake up moments in my life. And one particularly, I, I've only said this a couple of times on podcasts, but that 2008 where I was, you know, you know, struggling with losing friends, being doubted by some even family members and so on and so forth, um, being evicted from the second place the same year. There is this random, random, random moment where I'm here. I am, you know, this, this guy who thinks he's like super cool, super macho. I'm taking a shower. While, you know, one night while all this is happening, and I know I've got like three days to leave my place, you know, before the sheriff shows up. And um, I literally just collapsed in tears, like in the shower. And like, unlike, I literally went from like just straight up showering, because I actually had hair at the time, and uh, to, to like just falling to my knees. And then um, after, I don't know how long went by, I can't really remember, those moments tend to be a blur. But all of a sudden, the water turned freezing cold. It turned freezing cold, and that was symbolic for me. It was like God was like, yo, are you done crying? Like, stop being a little bitch. Like, okay, get up, <laughs> right? Get up. Be honest with yourself. Go learn what you need to learn. Go hang out who you need to hang out with. Go say no to who you need to say no to. And uh, let's get this going. You know, and, and it's moments like that that really, really, really make you build you and make you self-aware. But every time you become successful, you got to be careful because you can lose some of it. You know, you get trapped in your own matrix again. You get a little success and, or you're in the perfect economy or people around you think you're cool. Or you get a couple of trophies on your desk and you can start to lose self-awareness. And self-awareness is one of those things that, 
you know, I, I call it catch yourself when I teach it. I go, you got to catch yourself. Here's how you, how, here's how you catch yourself in, in the determining moment. And it's, it's kind of like whether you're feeling depressed or you're, you're on a losing streak for a day or two or um, something challenging happens in your life. It's not so much that, you know, that you shouldn't experience it and that it shouldn't impact you. It's that it should impact you and you should experience it and it's okay to be emotional. But the determining factor is how fast can you catch it? Interesting. How fast can you catch it? I got a pic- I have a, a big picture question to to ask you that kind of goes off of this as well. And I asked this yesterday to a guest we had on, and I heard I was listening to an interview with with Matthew McConaughey about a week ago. Mm-hmm. He just came out with a book called Green Lights, and I've been yeah. I've read that, and I've been pretty He's high on that. Interviews everywhere right now. Man. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. And and a, and someone asked him this question, and I and I've been kind of keeping it in the clip, ready to ask somebody. It's he he goes to Matthew at the end of the interview and he asked him if you were to disappear today and everything that you've ever created were to disappear with you, but you were given a sticky note and allowed to, to write three things, three values of, of life that you want to leave behind to leave some type of legacy behind in your name. What would those be? Are you asking me that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, dude, that's a bit, that's a loaded one. Everything disappears. You get to leave three things back on a sticky note. I would say number one, teach forgiveness, uh, self and for others. Number two, um, I would say maintain self-respect. And number three, I would probably say to learn as quickly as possible. Learn as quickly as possible, particularly from others. I mean, those are the three that are coming to mind, probably just because of the context of our conversation. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, who knows? Maybe if I took a look at that a day later, I would change some of those. <laughs> it's definitely not an easy question to answer on the spot. Yeah. It's, <laughs> an, I, it's an on-the-spot question there. <laughs> he, asks it, he asks it all the time. I keep on thinking while someone's answering, like, what, what would I say? And I, I, I think I just draw a blank every time. <laughs> yeah. I was in, in, in the realm of, okay, how do I have a quality life? I have quality life by being compassionate with others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then number two, you know, if you take it from a success st- standpoint of view, we live in a world now where people need to learn much more quickly than they were taught to learn. Mm-hmm. And then number three, have a lot of self-respect because otherwise we live in a very influential world and the influences are probably going to take you away from your, your uh, true rules and values. So true. Yeah. So true. And I, I think a major thing, especially if everyone that's listening to this, you know, it's great that you showed up and that you listened or that you're reading the book or that you talked to someone, but now you got to go implement it into your life. That's mm. the main thing. You know, you have a, such an advantage to all the technology that we have and all the, the plethora of information that we're introduced to, but are you actually going to use your time that you have as a young entrepreneur at to your advantage by actually going out and implementing, going out and trying things, going out and obviously you're going to hit failure, but you're also going to hit success as well. Just keep on going and going and actually implement something into your life instead of listening to it and then just moving on with your day. Right. If well, you could you know, learn probably. one thing from this, that's it. Take away one thing that Joe had to say. Maybe come back and take away two things the next time. Right. I think it's a, a big thing to really implement it. Sorry, go ahead. Dude, no, I just I got so excited when you said that because there's I think a couple posts ago on Instagram I was we put up a video where I was talking about how people ask me you know because you're a coach or whatever have you read this book have you read that book and I'm always like bro how many books are you gonna read man I've been watching your life and it's been the same for 10 years Mm -hmm. 
And um, I think what's happening is, I don't know if we can blame this on Tylepis or who we blame this on, but, <laughs> but um, people are now buying and reading books, I feel, for the, for the feeling of significance. Mm-hmm. Yep. To feel significant or popular. Not necessarily buying books strategically going, here's a priority in my life that I need to work on right now. Let me look for somebody or something that can help me accelerate my the process. And I'll, I'll be the first to say, you know, when I, I, I read books very frequently and I, I pride myself that I, I really go in and study these things. But when I first got into my main groove, I was reading like three to four books at a time, all different genres. And it was good, but it was a little bit overwhelming. And I kept on doing it just so that I can say to people that I was reading three to four books at a time to make myself feel a little bit better about myself instead right. of saying, you know, why the fuck do I care? Or does somebody else care that I'm reading three to four books? It's probably not the greatest idea. Let me revert back to one or two at a time and really study these things and then go take action on them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Hey, I don't discourage that, especially if somebody is needs, you know, to make a massive shift in their life or is going through something and, and that's how they're pulling themselves out of it. I mean, when I went through that 2008, you know, crybaby crisis, I, um, I was literally people at my complex. I heard through the grapevine that they thought I was some wealthy kid because all I would do is sit by the pool and read books all day long. <laughs> they didn't know that I was actually flat ass broke. And I was like, deep diving for anything that could make me more intelligent so I could be a more valuable mentor. And um, so I think it, maybe it depends on what phase you're in. Do you need to go through immersion? You know, do you need to belong to a certain community that forces you to show up? Do you need to go through 10 books? That's fine. But eventually, you know, you know what it needs to become is what is really important to me in my life right now that would make me feel like I'm making progress or help me to contribute or be a better provider or build my team? And then what information should I track down so that I can implement? So there's, there's, you know, definitely there's reading for entertainment and enjoyability. There's a lot of people who love reading and it just kind of like, it's their getaway, which, um, you know, I, if that's your getaway, that's good. Like mine's the gym, you know, mine's hanging out with friends, mine's being social. Um, and so forth. But when I'm reading, I'm reading strategically now because there's something specifically I hunted down that book or, or that publication because there's some specific skill or insight that I want for something that's immediately important to me. Boom. That's a, a great dissection of what that is. There's sometimes where I find myself reading a book just cause I'm like, you know, I haven't finished it yet. So I'm just going to keep on reading. And so right. maybe, maybe, maybe I'll put this one down for a second and dive into something that I, I think I need right now. And that goes hand in hand with the self-awareness, you know, yeah, uh, they're, still, they're yeah. still reading for enjoyment and reading for, you know, for mindset, reading for personal, personal growth. And I still do that too, you know, mm-hmm. from time to time when I feel like I just need another human's perspective on life or something, you know? Yep. Uh, and so, I mean, with that, I know we're, we're approaching the, uh, the end of this year. I want to be respectful of your time. The, uh, when we're on the topic of books, give us one book that you can leave us with for young entrepreneurs or the people that mostly listen to this podcast. What is one book that all of us have to read right now? If we're, especially at the beginning of our journeys. Man, dude, this is, I have to tell you, like, I hate this question, man. <laughs> I don't have to ask it. No problem. We were, we were cool until this point, but I, you know, here's, I, you know, I think I'll tell you what book um, had an impact on me and it's been around forever. Um, and for some reason I, I found so much value in it at the time I read it like eight or nine times. Wow. 
and it was actually unleash um, the power within. And it was a Tony Robbins book, uh, which was really, you know, basically like a small encyclopedia of, of a lot of different types of things. Mm-hmm. And I felt that, you know, when, when, when you're reading books, because right now there's so many, I mean, if, if, for me, I'm not the type of person who like falls in love with one movie or one actor or one book or whatever, um, or one coach or one religion or what, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm more of the type of guy of like, there is, we, there is, we, we're blessed with value all around us. And so the most important book I think is not the one that you read. I think it's the one that you're writing. Wow. I think Sound it's the one <laughs> that's that's a that's a great way to leave our listeners off with an, an amazing amazing uh perspective on it i really appreciate that i like that a lot and i appreciate you calling me out on that bonkers question all right cool so let's wrap it up i want to know uh i'm sure everyone wants to know because everyone this has been an awesome valuable podcast how can we reach out to you and follow you i know you're you're it seems that you're very interactive on social how can we uh, reach out to you for anything Dude, thank God I'm finally paying more attention to the social media game now. I've been procrastinating for so long. But the basics, Joe Coach, J-O-E Coach on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn as Joe Simon. I'm on YouTube as Joe Simon. I'm on Facebook as Joe Simon. And I'm sure you'll put my name in the uh, captions as well. Absolutely. Um, and thankfully, I'm still at a point where I can respond to pretty much everybody. So. All right, cool. And then be on the lookout for that uh, that coaching program, everyone. You know, I'll leave everyone with this, this, uh, this Tony Robbins quote that I always listen to, no matter what you do, take massive action. And I think that's uh, extremely important for us. You know, Listen to this podcast, but then also go do something about it. Tell somebody about it. Pay your dues. Tell your friends about this. Joe, thanks so much for coming on. Guys, can I, can I add on one more thing that, that I'm just something that's telling me to say right now? Because we're in a... We Absolutely. Well, I'm not like, you know, when, when you go through a lot of business cycles, you start to see how confusing you know years like 2020 can be for a lot of people and so if there's somebody listening to this today because they're searching for answers there's one thing i can tell you if you're going through something painful nobody knows about it you're confused you're worried what's going to happen to your job you're going through a divorce you're not sure if you're a good mom or a good dad or whatever the case may be if you're going through a painful time right now and want you to know the painful part is your blessing not the reward not the reward it is your wake-up call so you you know you got everything that you need around you just take action and especially by listening to guys like this i appreciate you guys we can wrap it up now and and uh let it run awesome man that's awesome that, that's uh the most I, when i thank god the most is when i'm going through the biggest of struggles so it's uh yeah. definitely a blessing well well said everyone have a great day and go take action
Thanks for tuning in to the Learn Lead Podcast, where you get to own your life. Stay tuned for our future guests coming soon. Make sure to like and subscribe.